Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Sharon Lever. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. Today, we're joined by Vice President and Principal Analyst, Yos Hopperman, and Martha Bennett to discuss emerging technology in the banking industry. Welcome both. Thank you. Glad to be here. And a thank you from me too. Look forward to the discussion. So would it be fair to say that banks today are overwhelmed by the number of emerging technologies at their disposal? And maybe if I'll start with a double question, are they struggling with that sort of vast array and evaluating the tech that is available to them? I think the answer is a clear yes and no. So what do I mean by that? When it comes to the number of emerging technologies, it's certainly very difficult for banks to identify those technologies that fit to their environment, that fit to their starting point from a technology from an architecture perspective. At the same point in time, there are certainly a number of overhyped technologies these days that Martha and I love to describe a technology looking for a solution. And I guess Martha already knows what kind of technology I have in mind. At the same point in time, um, it is certainly also giving banks an unprecedented opportunity. In the past, we more often than not had a single technology that was supposed to be a silver bullet solution that was positioned to solve all technology issues of the banking industry. And I think this huge set of technology that is available right now, whether emerging or not, uh, that you rightly described, is not only a challenge as far as picking the right ones, uh, is concerned. It's also about um, an opportunity as these com- this combination of different technologies creates some kind of magic. As always, variety creates magic. This magic can help us push transformation in the industry forward. Martha and Yost, you, you classify when we looked at the technologies um, and you did some evaluation, you kind of put them in three buckets, which I like. Uh, the first one, what, what hot technology, stuff that they're just kind of grabbing onto now, um, things that are sort of on the radar, thinking about, and then maybe overhyped, um, as you alluded to, Yost. Let's, let's dig into each one of those categories. Um, let's start with the hot ones. What is the most hot technology, emerging technology that financial services organizations and banking in general, I guess, are really jumping on these days? I'm inclined to say the top spot there probably goes to AI. (laughs) And the reason for that is because AI, artificial intelligence, isn't just one single technology. It's a whole portfolio of technologies ranging from machine learning to computer vision to um, language technology in particular is, is of great interest to banks. And so if we look a little bit at the detail there, it's hot because it can actually deliver benefit today. And at that point, I should probably also add, and building on what yours just said, what's an emerging technology for one bank is actually already in use by others. And for example, machine learning um, in the context of fraud detection. Some banks have been doing that for a while. For others, it is still new. Similarly, working with language technologies. 
but that's also we ha where we've seen quite um, a leap forward um, during the pandemic, actually. And again, chatbots aren't brand new, and some banks have been using them for a while, both internally and customer-facing, and they're delivering benefits. And that's why they took um, a leap forward during the pandemic, because anything that ca can be handled by a bot doesn't have to be handled by a person. And then when we look at the broader range of AI technologies, um, overall, if I summarize it into, these are technologies that help banks m make the most of the data they have access to, that helps them to deliver tailored products and services. And I know you want to stick to the hot technologies now, so I should probably park a comment, but if we can come back to AI under hype, I would like to do that, unless you'd like me to do the, the, the the hype bit now, Sharon. Well, now you just, I mean, you just piqued our interest. So go for it. What's what's the hype hype one related to AI? There must be okay. something. Okay, then yeah, I'll I'll loop back to chatbots. As I said, they're in use in on a day-to-day -day basis. They're delivering tremendous benefit. But they are, without wanting to make it sound in any way negative, they're comparatively simple in that they deal with the straightforward queries. And let's be clear, those straightforward queries can take up as much as 80% of the load of inbound questions from customers. What AI does not do, cannot do, is understand context. I use as an, a little analogy, you know, we all admire DeepMind and beating the world's best Go player. If you ask DeepMind to play chess today, it wouldn't even know what you mean. <laughs> and bringing it back to banking and chatbots, anything that's complex, anything that requires an understanding of the customer's context, that's where chatbots or virtual agents just aren't at the point where they can handle it today. And that's why we've put that under hype. And are banks trying to use them that way? I mean, are they getting it wrong? Are they trying to, or are they just kind of looking at it and also realizing that it's hype? So I certainly agree with Martha's positioning of these hot AI type technologies. And I think there's an additional driver that we need to consider when it comes to AI. In the past, AI was something that needed support by experts, by data scientists and the like. However, the situation is changing in that I'm seeing more and more off-the-shelf banking applications that come with built-in AI-powered capabilities using machine learning, in some cases deep learning, all types of natural language capabilities um, to enhance uh, experiences to improve efficiency. For example, it could be that such a kind of solution offers in a cash management environment the best possible way to transfer cash from one country to another, considering all legal and regulatory restrictions. It might be that AI is used to improve experiences by reshaping and reconfiguring the user interface in line with the current behavior of the customer. Before we move on to sort of like on the radar tech, have you seen also an uptick? I feel like chatbots and RPA may be like in the same bucket here because it's very rote processes and tasks. Are, are you, have we seen an uptick in RPA implementation and, and use? Actually, it depends a little bit um, mm -hmm. because as we can see, RPA comes in different flavors. 
And certainly RPA has been a very important topic for many technology teams and many banks to create some kind of, to, to use it as some kind of plumbing to ensure that processes can be supported in a more seamless way. Because we all know that certainly many banks do not have the best integrated application, particularly on the backend side. However, this is exactly that. It's some kind of plumbing. It's nothing that can be considered as a strategic approach that can be considered a sound basis for transformation. Um, because it's pretty static, actually. And this is where we are already moving from the hot to the on the radar category, where we see AI-powered robotic process automation, um, a capability that allows banks to more seamlessly use RPA in changing environments, which is also not yet 100% strategic because certainly I personally would always prefer a full-blown transformation, but certainly it's definitely more powerful, more seamless, and it will allow banks to react to uh, urgent customer needs in a much more flexible way than see my fingers around normal RPA. So what else is on that radar list um, that maybe some of the more mature banks are already tapping into, but, you know, maybe a little bit further out for those that, that kind of are the, the wait and see follower types? So I think when it comes to on the radar, we certainly could look a little bit at least at event driven architecture and also at low-code development. And when it comes to low-code development, there are two different flavors. One is about using low-code tooling to build new banking capabilities, to build new mobile apps and the like. And also um, digital banking engagement platforms that in some cases come with built-in low-code development environments. And while I see a certain uptake in engagement platforms per se, because it's kind of a business decision to go for a more integrated approach to serve all different kinds of channels with some kind of homogeneous experience, I also see some kind of reluctance when it comes to low code as such. And I guess this is not a huge surprise because developers tend, and this is also what our survey data shows, uh, tend to be reluctant, at least when I used to be a developer many years ago, um, I was very keen of having control about my code. And this is exactly where low code certainly offers less opportunity. So I think it's a very powerful environment. Many banks already use it and many not as in the major as majority of banks, but many banks use it in a very efficient way. But it's not yet something that gets accepted by the majority of financial service institutions because of this developer reluctance. When it comes to event-driven, I think we need to differentiate a little bit. Again, there are already a couple of event-driven approaches when it comes to off-the-shelf solutions and their architecture. At the same point in time, I also see banks using event-driven, particularly when it comes to data integration to support the coexistence of vintage application landscapes and more modern applications so that they can exchange information and data. When it comes to event-driven and, let's say, the upper layers of application architecture, when it comes to um, orchestrate different bundles of microservices, how they work, which is how they call each other, it's a different story. Certainly, some banks already think about it. Some ask for frameworks. But many are still a little bit reluctant simply because they do not yet know how to solve the issue of long-running transactions 
that is a key element of how banking um, interactions and transactions typically get implemented. So event-driven is certainly a very powerful instrument, but at the same point in time, there are a few open questions that need to get addressed before the banking industry as such can move into this direction at full speed. Martha, I have to ask too, because I saw it on the list of the on the radar distributed ledger blockchain technology. Thank you, Sharon. That was exactly, I was like, how is this on the radar and still not in the hype bucket? But Martha? (laughs) Well, because it's in use today, it clearly hasn't lived up to the, um, shall we say, promises that were made like three years ago, four years ago. Um, But then let's face it, the amount of hype at that time was such that no technology, no matter how wonderful, could possibly live up to all of those expectations. So a certain amount of disappointment, um, it's not so much disappointment, Those that were expecting miracles were clearly disappointed. Those who understood that this is actually a truly transformative technology, they have been working with it steadily ever since. But it's not kind of gone into broad mainstream adoption, partly because of the technology itself still needing to mature and it's moving along in leaps and bounds. But more importantly, because it does change in some ways the way business is done or time is is just you just need time to figure out how you can use this technology in a manner that is in regulatory compliance i have one example where it took a bank two years after the technology was ready just to ensure that the regulator was happy with this new way of doing things so for this technology to fulfill its potential We'll, it will be a while yet, but it's in use. We're seeing more and more systems go live. Expect more to happen in the next few months during the rest of this year. But I will actually stick with the original timescale that I put on this stuff back in 2015 when everybody laughed at me when I said it'll be 15, 20 years in particular in banking before this becomes an established underpinning of um, the way te- um, the, the, of one of the key technologies that will be in use. And maybe to add one perspective here, uh, just to um, uh, look a little bit at the report Martha and I uh, worked on a couple of years ago when we found that in those geographies that do not yet have um, well-established infrastructure for a certain area of banking, blockchain will potentially accelerate faster than in others. For example, why should a bank group of banks, why should a national environment move to a new payment capability based on distributed ledger technologies if there's already a perfectly fine infrastructure in place. If such a kind of infrastructure is not yet in place, then certainly blockchain is a better option. And at the same point in time, I guess this also relates a little bit to moving from hype to on the radar. Um, More and more people accept, recognize that certainly blockchain is a solution or blockchain space can offer solutions to be more precise, um, that have a lot of potential, but at the same point in time, there are often different ways to do the same things cheaper, more more effectively. So this this kind of recognition is certainly also contributing to moving from hype to on the radar. 
So without further ado, should we tackle what's in the hype bucket? What what are you know clients saying like these technologies are just they're they're not they're either not ready or they're not right for the industry. There are certain ones that that kind of pop out. Well, maybe I can give it a start. And I think the reasons why these technologies uh, are in the high bucket are certainly heterogeneous. Let me pick just one um, that something I observed for a longer time. And this is about gamification, or to be more precise, about advanced gamification to use kind of game mechanics to user uh, to apply them to, to to user interfaces, but basically, and this is nothing new per se. And when talking to vendors that have related capabilities in their product portfolio, I see more and more that they tell me, this is great to have. It took us a lot of effort to implement these capabilities, but until now, commercial success remained comparably limited. Which basically means, there's also something vendor told me, it used to be kind of a checkmark item on RFIs, in RFIs, in RFPs, but it was nothing that was broadly sold, that banks broadly purchased. So it looks like it's a great concept, but few banks really want to invest in that. And those who invested in the concept found that it is a large investment. It is, does not necessarily create the additional revenue streams, the largely improved user experiences when it comes to advanced gamification. So there's some kind of imbalance, which certainly also caused some feedback we heard, like gamification is evil. And if I can add to that, there are actually potential dangers to it. And so I'll just offer a caution in that in the past few months, one of the online trading platforms actually got a reprimand from the regulator because they were using gamification techniques and the regulator said the degree to which they were using the gamification techniques, because of course they can be positive if it helps with financial literacy, for example. But in this case, the regulator actually felt that the way gamification was used um, ob obscured or obfuscated the risk and that it would lead people into stock trading that couldn't actually afford to lose the money if, if you know, that things go down. And there is always that health warning. So that's just something to be aware of, that um, if it starts hiding potential risk, then that's maybe not the um, direction in which to go with gamification. Which is also a different interpretation of gamification is evil. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Gamification is evil, especially in banking. Um, I'm interested that um, things like edge, um, even quantum are on the hype list. They might be relatively new, but we seem pretty bullish on those technologies at Forrester, at least for the future. So can you say a little bit more about why you consider them hype, if you will, within banking? I'll start on the quantum piece. Um, and, and of course, hype, um, we have to be, again, It's it, there's a thing about terminology. 
Um, sometimes we say hype because quite simply something is totally overblown, but sometimes it's because it cannot yet deliver today. And that's why investments remain non-existent or very cautious. And that's where quantum certainly fits into it, in that we are not at the point where we can just say, I'll have some quantum computing today. Here's my credit card. Well, I can do that and experiment a little. And there are indeed banks that are experimenting with um, quantum computing in particular around in, in, in capital markets around Monte Carlo simulations, that kind of thing. But re it requires a lot of effort. The technology is not ready yet. And um, but the banks with the budget and the strategic outlook are experimenting today. So they are ready when the technology becomes more ready and 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 more realistic from a, a broader deployment perspective. And I think it's also some kind of, let's say, word of caution to put it into the hype category. When I see questions from banks asking, what is the best plan um, to, how should we use quantum computing? How should we plan for quantum computing over the, the next decade? I think this indicates that there is more expectation than in, in the technology than what quantum computing can realistically deliver today. And I think from that perspective, putting it into the hype category, it's certainly, as I mentioned earlier, a word of caution. Yos and, and Martha, is there one piece of advice you'd give banks trying to make sure they're putting their investments in the right tech for their firm? Well, I've got one of my favorite comments, and then I'll give yours the very last word. Um, it's when banks are looking at going into one of these new technologies that they really have to be aware of their current state of digital maturity and also really be be careful. And I always use this. Um, you have to distinguish between digitizing something and developing a truly digital process. And if all you do is, you know, take a fancy chatbot and stick it on the, on top of what is essentially a te pretty terrible process, you've still got a pretty terrible process and the fancy technology at the front end might actually end up drawing attention to just how bad things are at the back end. So look at your digital maturity. How does the new thing actually fit in? And are you being truly digital by when you go into this technology or are you just creating an even more messy architecture? And that's probably a good cue to hand it over to yours. Thank you, Martha. And I think I would simply like to, to support with what Martha said, maybe just using different words in that what we put into the hot category is not necessarily the best starting point for a bank. What we put into the on the radar category may be a perfect starting point for a bank. And also maybe uh, virtual reality may be a great starting point if a bank is highly interested in, say, a perfect forward-looking, sophisticated, insert another positive adjective here, uh, trading workplace. So consequently, what we have created here is not any kind of set of advanced emerging technologies that are meant to be put forward into a, into a direction, into a strategic direction for a bank. They are meant as food for thought and the bank has to evaluate its particular starting point to identify the right technologies to drive their digital transformation. Great. Wise words to end on. Thank you both for joining us today. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Martha. Thanks, Yost. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.